0: Welcome to this edition of The Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. We are currently in a series called Planted Bearing Fruit in Every Season, in which we are reminding ourselves that God has a plan for our lives. And this plan for our life is that we are fruitful. It's a plan of abundant fruitfulness. We have been describing fruitfulness as being so closely connected to Jesus that we think like him, that we act like him, and that we speak like him. A, pretty, a fruitful life is pretty much characterized with the overflow of love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, and goodness, and self-control. We have said that Jesus' plan for our life is one of fruitfulness, and it is not a moderate plan. He plans our life to produce much fruit. Put another way, he wants to produce a whole lot of grapes, not a small box of raisins, abundant, enduring fruit. One of the things that we have focused on in this series so far is that we have said that When you plant a seed in the ground, fruit is one of the last things that the seed actually produces. In fact, a number of things need to happen if a seed is going to be fruitful. We mentioned having the seed in the right environment. How a seed needs to put down good roots into quality soil. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to develop this theme from John 15, and next week, we're going to look at that wonderful thing called pruning, and how that affects our life. But before moving on, I I want to read a quote, which I thought was really good, from Mother Teresa, which Hope sent me earlier this week. It says this, or she says, "'I was never called to be successful. I was called to be faithful, and in my striving to be faithful, my life will be fruitful.'" And because it is fruitful, you can say, I am successful. That was very good. I thought it was really good. So today, I want to talk about remaining close to Jesus if we are going to produce much fruit. And we're going to be in the first eight verses of John 15 all morning. John John 15 verse 1 through to 8 says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll even be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown if, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. You will notice that at the heart, at the very core of this text is the desire of the Father that you and I live the lives that he has intended for us. Jesus, right at the start of this text, reminds us that the Father is the gardener. He's the main player in this, working really hard to make sure that we, the branches, are producing much fruit. According to the text, the key to living a fruitful life is a close connection to the true vine, close connection to Jesus himself. So put it another way, our fruitfulness is not dependent on our performance, it is dependent on on a person. It is not dependent on our performance down here. It is our connection to a person staying close to Jesus. It is also interesting that Jesus talks about himself right here and he calls himself the true vine because his words therefore suggest there are many vines, there are many gods, there are many religions, there are many philosophies, there are many distractions. There are many false gods, man-made gods perhaps that drag us away from the true vine, but only one who will fill us with his love, only one that will fill the emptiness of our life and bring joy and peace, etc. There is only one person down here on earth, there is nothing else that will give us that inner satisfaction, that inner fulfillment, even as Christians, apart from Jesus Christ himself and sticking close to him. Today, I would like to break down, distill our teaching into three headings from John 15. And if you're going to preach a good old school sermon that people will listen to and take the points away, then any old school sermon has got to have three points. And I'm going to give you your desire of your heart this morning and give you three simple points. The first one is us remaining in him. Secondly, Jesus remaining in us And thirdly, his words remaining in us. Us remaining in Jesus, Jesus remaining in us, and his words remaining in us. Our fruitfulness, therefore, to begin with, is dependent on us remaining in Jesus. Go back to verses four and five. Remain in me, also I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. So our fruitfulness is linked to this idea that we remain in Jesus, which I would like to suggest raises some questions on what on earth does it mean to remain in Jesus? It sounds kind of strange, I mean, I've come to him, I've had my sins forgiven, I have a relationship with him, and now I'm exhorted to remain in him. If you have a, a different version of the Bible on your, on your phone or in, in, in the Bible in front of you, you may well have other words instead of the word remain. Remain can be translated as dwelling with Jesus, sometimes it's living with Jesus, sometimes it's connected to Jesus. And sometimes it can also be used as attached to Jesus. All of these different translations remind us that a fruitful life requires us to be intentionally attached, intentionally connected to Jesus. Many of you will have heard and many of you have studied and many of you work along with the attachment theory. The whole idea is that from an early age, a child needs to make attachments to significant caregivers, which is usually their parent or parents. And if they make strong emotional bonds, strong emotional connections, strong attachments, then a child can more than likely grow up living in a loving, healthy environment where they can live a well-rounded life. Many would say that these healthy life attachments are vital for a child's significance, and for healthy growth. You see, I believe what happens on the physical level also happens on the spiritual level, that we are exhorted to remain in Jesus, that we remain attached to him, that a fruitful life full of love, joy, peace, etc., can only be experienced if someone is actually attached to Jesus, that they have a connection with him As they remain in Him. You see, Christian discipleship is not simply believing the right things and doing the right things. It actually requires you and I to have a continual spiritual, supernatural encounter with Jesus. Christian discipleship requires doctrine, believing the right things, it requires ethics, doing the right things but it also requires encounter, which is about meeting the right person on a regular, regular daily basis. If there is no encounter with Jesus in our life on a regular basis, we have believing, we have doing, but we just don't have living. To put it even more simply, if we want to grow as a disciple of Jesus, and sustain fruitfulness in this world, we have to remain closely attached to him. We have to be purposeful in remaining in him. (laughs) The next and perhaps obvious question, well, for me is this. How do I do do this? Okay, Chris, you say I've got to remain in him. Okay, how do I do it? How on earth do I remain in Jesus so that my life, how do you remain in Jesus so that your life produces much fruit. So I believe, and I believe that the answer to this is what is called intentional intimacy. By this, I mean that we intentionally choose times and places and spaces to deliberately spend time with Jesus, listening to the voice of the Father, receiving the presence and power and peace of the Holy Spirit. Intentional about places, spaces and times where we meet him. And I know that some of you will say, well, I don't need that sort of discipline in my life. Jesus is with me all the time. I can pray to him at any time, any place, anywhere. So I don't really need to be intentional, Chris. I can just wander r- randomly through life and I can talk to him anytime I like and any time I want. You know, that would be true, well, at least theologically, But I would like to suggest and perhaps even argue that if Jesus himself needed to intentionally remove himself from the company of others and spend time with his father in secret, why on earth would I? Why on earth would we think that we don't need to do the same? Luke tells us in uh, chapter 5 verse 16 that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Then Jesus taught his disciples to do the same thing. Matthew 6.6 6 says the words of Jesus, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I believe that one of the most strategic things that we can do with our life if we want to live a fruitful life is to be very intentional about planting our life in the secret place. With God because if we don't we will as a consequence produce very little fruit we're back to that box of raisins again but if we plant our life in the secret place we are planting our life in the presence of the one who will fill our emptiness with his life and we will produce much fruit so again the question is how do we practically do this How do we spend time with Jesus? Because we all live full lives. We have jobs, we have families, we have study, we have commitments. Simply lots of demands on our life and on our time. How do we practically, intentionally find this sacred, secret place and lifestyle that required to be fruitful? How do we give God best portion of our day? How do we give God that best part of our day? And I appreciate that we are all wired differently. I appreciate that we're all in different seasons of our life. But my guess is this, that we all have a best part of our day. Some of us are early risers. So this is probably the best part of our day. Some of us are late nighters. And for some of you, that is the best part of the day. The, the night aisles in this room, I don't understand that concept. I have once heard somebody say to me, I come awake at midnight. I'm thinking, I don't even know what that means. I probably had two, hour, two and a half hours sleep by the t- time that happens. You know, and when I'm getting up, some of you are just going to bed, but that's your best time of the day. Some of us have small children, and your home may well resemble a combat zone right now. And yet maybe there is a moment, maybe there are 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes of peace in your day that is the best part of your day. Many of you get a lunch break at work, and this is your best part of the day. Some of us get into the office a couple of hours early before anyone else arrives, and this is the best part of a day. And I appreciate we all live very different lives, but I imagine that for most of us, We all have the best part of the day when there are minimal or few distractions. It is these moments that we learn to turn our affection and our attention to Jesus and we spend time with him. An intentional secret place lifestyle will cost us. It is going to cost us time when we could be doing something seemingly more important and other pressing things that just don't get done immediately and they cause us to oh, be a bit anxious, it will cost us sleep, either because we get up earlier or we go to bed later. It will cost us productivity at a human level because we are spending time with Him When of course, absolutely of course, we could be doing a whole load of work that would make us more productive. What I have discovered is this, that when God plants a seed in our life, it is free, but fruitfulness is costly. The seed is free, but fruitfulness is costly. When God plants a seed in us, he gives it freely But then to live a fruitful life, it'll cost us. It will cost some sacrifice on our behalf. Also, an intentional secret place lifestyle will require us just to be with him. That's it, just to be with him. In Mark 3, verses uh, 13 to 15, when Jesus calls his disciples, when he calls the 12, it says, he called them to be with him. And I love this from the Amplified Version. It says, he went up, on the hillside and called those whom he himself wanted, he himself wanted and chose. And they came to him and he appointed 12 disciples so that they could be with him for instruction and so that he could send them out to preach the gospel as apostles, that is, as his special messengers, personally chosen representatives and to have authority and power to cast out demons. Before... Before they are called to preach, before they are called to cast out demons and heal the sick, before we are called to do anything, we are called just to be with him. So for these three years, these 12 guys hit this rhythm of getting up in the morning and just being with him. We talked about rhythms in week one of the series that are so important. This is what it's going to take for some of us to live the secret place lifestyle and remain in him for some of us we need to learn to sit in silence for five to ten minutes and simply cultivate an awareness of his presence and when you're sitting in silence and you're not used to doing it and you're just sitting there trying to hone in or hear what God is saying to you five ten minutes can seem like an absolute eternity (laughs) but that's what some of us perhaps need to do for some of us it will mean opening the bible instead of attempting to read a massive passage or get through whatever's been allocated for today not that that is wrong but we open the passage and we ask the holy spirit to make something come alive to us that we run that risk of saying holy spirit i just want you to speak to me in in these moments and sometimes something will happen and sometimes we'll go away thinking i wonder what happened there For some, it's going to be grabbing a pen and writing down what you feel God is saying or just logging down your thoughts and ruminating on them. Remaining in him and bearing much fruit is going to require some of us to stop striving, to stop pushing, to stop being so busy and simply be with him so that we can develop a history with the Lord in the secret place that no one else knows anything about how do we do that an intentional lifestyle is going to require humility on our behalf jesus says these words apart from me you can do nothing and in the original greek that means apart from me you can do nothing If you detach yourself from me, you will produce little or no fruit. So a humble person reads these words and they realize, wow, I am wholly dependent on Jesus for life, for everything. But if I can say it like this, not that they would admit to this or even acknowledge it or perhaps even identify it, but an arrogant person thinks that they can do life by themselves in their own strength. So they stop prioritizing the secret place. They stop being intentional about remaining in Jesus. There is an arrogance that says, I really can live day to day apart from Jesus. As long as we touch base on the weekend, everything's gonna be fine. There is an arrogance that says, I don't really need to be intentional with him. And sometimes if that is not dealt with, we will slowly but inexorably Drifting away from remaining in him and therefore fruitfulness. You know, this lifestyle we are desiring ultimately requires humility that says, I can't do this life. I can't produce fruit. I can't do it without him. Fruitfulness is undergirded by humility. So Jesus says, if you want to live a fruitful life, then we need then we need to remain in him. Thus, the need to plant ourselves in the secret soil. But Jesus doesn't stop there because he goes on to tell us not only must we remain in him, but that our fruitfulness requires him to remain in us. Let's come back here to verses four and five. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is doing here is that he's not describing a one-way relationship. Have you ever had a one-way relationship with anyone? Perhaps you text somebody loads of times And they never text you back. Have you ever been in one of those relationships when all you think about is this someone all day long and they don't even know your name? The relationship's been in your mind and it's all been one way. Have you ever been madly in love with someone and it's all one way and they're not madly in love with you? You see, Jesus is madly in love with us and he wants to remain in us. Jesus' relationship is not a one-way relationship. What he describes here is a two-way relationship. We draw close to him, and he draws close to us. We attach ourselves to him, he attaches himself to us. We remain in him, and he remains in us. This is how much fruit comes about. In John 14, verse 20, Jesus describes how the unity of the Godhead, as seen in the Trinity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, is reflected in the unity that he has with us, his followers, his disciples. He says, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And I appreciate that anything to do with the Trinity can be a difficult subject for us to get our heads around. But what we believe is this. There are three persons in the the Trinity, and they are an inseparable unit. And Jesus looks at his followers and he says to them, and he says to us, the unity that I have with the Father and the Spirit is also reflected in the unity that I have with you. And I think Paul sums it up so incredibly well. In Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor, neither angels nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we deliberately, intentionally remain in him, he continues to remain in us. Thirdly, and finally, our fruitfulness is dependent on his words remaining in us. John 15:7 and 8 says these words, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. If we remain in him and he in us, we will start to have such an intimacy with him that our ears, our heart, our spirit will become more and more attuned to his voice we will start to hear his words and promptings. In the original text, the word translated is "rema" or rhema, depending on where you're from. And according to one of the leading biblical concordances, this word means that which is or has been uttered by the living voice. So the words of Jesus include what he has said and what he is saying today. As we abide in him, as we remain in him and he remains in us, we have this wonderful ability of his words remaining in us. Put it another way, the words of Jesus include what he has said through scripture and what he is speaking today. What I am describing here are those moments. It's not a heresy. I'll, I'll get there in a moment. But the, describing those moments when we open the word of God and God speaks to us from his word to say about our family or our friends, or how to be wise at work. We open the scripture and he speaks to us through what he has already said, what he has already written. But there are those moments that I'm sure nearly all of us have had when he whispers something into our hearts, some extra details about the issues that he is speaking to us about. But his word remaining in us, the way ahead he has for us or not simply speaks to us about the need for forgiveness, but in that moment as we read it, we know the person whom we need to forgive or need to ask for forgiveness of. These in the moment, these now words, do not contradict scripture at all. They just give us additional details about a specific way that he would have our lives live today. In that moment, as we abide in him and he in us, his words remain in us, Jesus says if you are going to be fruitful, those words that he has spoken and is speaking should remain in us. We need to carry them, we need to abide in them. Abide in those words. So how do we do this? How do we allow these words to remain in us? Let me quickly, briefly suggest three words, three ways. We pray them, we talk them, and we expect them. Firstly, we take the words that Jesus has spoken and we allow them to fuel our prayers. We pray them. Example, we don't just necessarily need to pray for our finances. If you're praying for your finances, that is really good. But what is even better, pray over what God has told you to do your finances. You know, God has said in his word, and I know there's something he always challenges us, to, to be a generous people. So Lord, just don't bless my finances. Help me to be Absolutely generous with my finances. Give me an opportunity today. Take the word that abides in you and pray it into your situation. Lord, help me, not only to be generous, but help me to render not only to Caesar what is the Caesar, but help me to render to God what is his. You know, one of the things that God has been speaking to me about over this last season is is from Proverbs 3.27. Don't withhold good from someone who deserves it when it is in your power to do so. I've really been speaking to me for 12, 18 months about this. And I really believe that if it is in my power to do good for someone, and especially in the area of finance, then just do it. If I can change something by giving financially for a person and it is in my power to do so, just do it. Don't think about it. Don't try to persuade yourself not to do it. Just do it. A word that he has spoken, it abides in us. So don't just pray for your families. We pray what God has said over our families. Many of you have got words over your families, over the generations. Pray those promises you have received. I specifically, well, I need to rephrase that. I personally just don't pray, bless my wife, my kids, my son and daughter-in-law and grandsons, I pray what I believe, really believe God wants for them. And I pray especially what I believe God wants for Hope and for Ben and Megan and their husband and their wife and my kids. <laughs> I'm actually praying for my kids, my grandkids at the moment, that they will know God's favor and grace and friendship. Pray the living words that has been abiding in me over my kids. At the end of last year, the new Gateway Leadership Team, having been formed and Then after meeting and praying and discussing together, we felt God say that this year of 2023, for Gateway was to be a year of go, good news, and community. Remember, we shared that during our Heart and Hope Sunday in February, and it has been a constant theme through the year. Therefore, when I pray for Gateway, pray for our faith community, I pray for you. I don't pray, Lord, I just pray that you will bless Gateway. Not that that's wrong. But what I do pray is I pray, God, make this year a year that as a church, we will be a people who go wherever this means, whatever this means for us corporately and individually, whoever we are, wherever we go, help us to be a people that go. And Lord, will you make this year a year when we rejoice in declaring and recapturing the power of the good news of the gospel and also to celebrate the good news we see as a result of this. And I pray, will we we be a people who recapture the power and dynamic what it is to be in community? Those words that he has spoken to us through his word and whispered into our spirits, we allow them to abide in us and we pray them into those situations. This is how we do that. Not only do we pray them, but we talk them. We allow the word that has been spoken to us to actually shape the way that we speak. Say, for example, as you read a little bit further down here in John 15, you'll come to these words in verse 16. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Imagine, on some occasion, when you are reading these words, these words come alive to you you've read them a thousand times but they come alive to you and you really sense that the holy spirit is speaking to you about this specific area because you are one of his followers i would like to suggest that these words then change the way that you speak about yourself so instead of walking around saying i'm not up to much you know what i mean i don't see much fruit in my life i think that we can confidently and legitimately say i am chosen And I am appointed by the king of the universe to bear much fruit. That we allow his word that abides in us to rewire the way that we think and we speak about ourselves. I'm not suggesting that we become arrogant. I'm I'm just saying that if Jesus has spoken and said these words over our lives, let us walk around in the confidence of what he is saying. And not allowing ourselves to speak something that is contrary to his word. If the word remains in us, we talk it and we pray it. And then finally, we expect it. It's like the widow of 2 Kings 4 when she was given the word by the prophet Elisha that the oil is coming. So even before she sees the oil, she goes and prepares a whole lot of pots. So she could receive all that was coming for her word, her way. Can I gently touch some of us here today that have heard a word from God about your life? You've heard a word of God about your family, about your work situation, about your future, but you know, you haven't really prayed about it, you haven't really expected it. Although he spoke it, something of that fruit has died. I'm just going through something in my own life over the the last six months. Um... Many, many years ago, over, over 40 years ago, um, I was given a prophetic word. There's a guy who was uh, an alien pastor. He had been a gypsy. He was still a gypsy, but he'd been a gypsy and he'd been a fortune teller. And he had really plummeted the depths of hell. He was an incredibly accurate fortune teller and he made in those days he would have made thousands of pounds had a powerful powerful conversion when he encountered Jesus Christ and God as it were sort of repaired that gift turned it around and he became incredibly prophetic he became incredibly spot on one of the most uh, profound and accurate guys I ever met and I remember once at the end of a a meeting I was a young student and uh, he prayed for me and he said these words And it's Psalm 34, verse 7. It says, 37, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so John said that to me, and he said, Chris, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart and things that you have not even dreamt of. Took a word and put it into my spirit. I remember at that time incredibly excited about it and God has been so incredibly good and got me thinking. And you know, it got me thinking about, I forgot, I wouldn't say I ever forgot about it, but I stopped praying into it. I stopped ruminating on it. I stopped abiding in that word. And it got me thinking, and he has done those things, things that I have not even dreamt of. Maybe not in the realm of worldly fame and fortune, but in the realm of marriage, of two children who love Jesus and love their dad. A son and daughter-in-law who love Jesus and like their father-in-law. <laughs> and grandkids and much more. I have a brother and sister and we still talk to each other probably every week. All those things. And it hasn't always been easy to delight in him. In fact, sometimes it's been very, very difficult. But I felt, cha- felt God challenged me again recently not to forget this promise as in some ways I have. I need to let that word of Psalm 37, verse 4, and what God said to me, abide in me. And I'm saying, Lord, I'm 61. I haven't got the energy to dream anymore, to think too much about these things. And I just felt God say to me, I want you to go back and revisit those words, and I want them to abide in your heart. I want them to abide in your life, and I felt him nudge me back there to something that he spoke to me 40 years ago. So I'm praying and I'm talking and maybe even starting to allow expectation to arise in my heart as I remain in him. Can I encourage all of us, or if this is you this morning, to go back to what you've heard, to what you knew God said to you at a time and start to talk about it and pray about it and expect it. Musicians, please come and join me. My desire for us all today is that we see three things, or three things happen. We remain in Jesus. Secondly, Jesus remaining in us. And thirdly, his words remaining in us daily. Can I also encourage all of us to be a people who have ears listening for his word, that, we, that when we open the Bible, that we listen for his voice. Would we be a people that are anticipating his whisper? Will we be a people that when he speaks to us, we grab a journal, write down what he says. We don't allow those things to be forgotten. That we will take these words. We will pray these words. We will talk these words. We will expect these words. And from this will flow real fruitfulness, abundant fruit that will last. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.com dot org dot inside.